Today we're going to finish our series in the life of Moses. And today we're going to see people become worshipers of God. Isn't that why we're here today? Yeah. Isn't that why you're watching online? We're here to become people who worship God not only on Sunday, not only during a pandemic, but in all seasons, throughout the seasons, in everything we do. That's why we exist as a church family. It isn't just to make some friends. It isn't just to serve the community. It isn't even just to study God's word, but we gather as a church in person and online to become worshipers of God, to be reminded that our primary purpose in life is to worship God with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind. In Exodus chapter Chapters 35 to 40, we're going to see God's word zero in on the tabernacle, uh, which is great because just a couple of months ago, our, our, our worship team, our, we had a worship and prayer service all around the tabernacle. You can go on YouTube and May 17th, you can watch that video about the tabernacle. It's a very, very, very helpful resource because in Exodus 35 to 40, we see God's people move from slavery in Egypt to worshipers of God, and it all takes place around the tabernacle. So that brings us to our three points uh, today. Our, our first one is that the question just why worship? Why worship? I'm not getting much action. There we go. Why worship? One more. Maybe I'll just help me out. I'll just say click. Why worship? How does the tabernacle point us to worship? And where is the tabernacle pointing us to worship? I've asked our very own Richard Sanders to come read our passage for us today. So y'all give a round of applause for Richard Sanders. He's going to come read for us. There we go. Thus... Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets. And he set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, and set up a veil for the screen, and screened off the ark of the testimony, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he put the table in the tent of meeting, on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. He set the arrangement of the bread in order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite, opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt a burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed the lever bent between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. 
From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the enter the tent of meeting because a cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the sons of Israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up for throughout all their journeys the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. All right. Y'all give a round of applause for Richard. That's a lot of reading. Good job. Good job. I knew Richard could handle it. Strong reader. Strong reader. It's good. Hey, we're taking huge steps through Exodus. So let me give some quick background to make sure we're all on the same page. Exodus begins, and Israel is under slavery and slaughter in Egypt. Then the God of Scripture raises up Moses to lead Israel out of slavery so that Israel experiences some miraculous movements of the Lord. All right, there's the deliverance through the plagues, parting of the Red Sea, manna falling from heaven, ten commandments. And then one day, Moses is off in prayer a little longer than expected so that Israel turns away from the Lord and worships the golden calf. In chapters 35 to 40, the majority of the focus is on the tabernacle being established. And the tabernacle is the linchpin that holds the book of Exodus together. All the drama goes to the parting of the Red Sea, the burning bush, the plagues. But the tabernacle is the key. It's the key to Exodus because the book of Exodus starts in slavery in Egypt But it doesn't end until Israel becomes worshipers of God. And it all takes place through the tabernacle. And that brings us to our first sub-point. Well, why worship? Write that in your notes. Why worship? I mean, isn't the delivery from slavery enough? There's a lot of details about the tabernacle. Lots of words and ink and, and, and time is committed to the tabernacle. I mean, couldn't you, couldn't you just end Exodus at the parting of the Red Sea? That's a pretty big deal. That's where the prince of Egypt ended. It's a pretty dramatic moment. Like, yeah, got it. But that's not, that's not where it ends because worship is such a big deal. Think about where we are today. We're here at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. Why? Why is worship such a big deal? Why are we wearing these masks and being socially distanced? Why are you watching online and taking time to make this commitment? And it's because we're created to worship. Why worship? Human beings are created to worship. Write that in your notes. Human beings are created by God to worship. Now, in our culture today, this is hard for us to see. It doesn't resonate right away because our culture today places so much emphasis on information and on science, and on facts. So for our modern ears, this idea of worship, it just sounds funny. Like, worship? This is what I thought 
in the 1990s, a, a young person. I had no connection with the local church, no connection with God's word. And, and when a friend started talking to me about worshiping Jesus, I just didn't, I was like, that sounds bonkers. Why would you worship anyone? Like, what? what are, I didn't even understand what, what he meant. All I could think of is that scene from Indiana Jones, right, where he's taking the gold idol, the fertility god of the Hoivoitus tribal people. Like, that's who they worship. The tribal people worship, but today we're educated. We're in science and facts. Why worship? Well, you need to know the word worship means to express worthiness. Write that in your notes. The word worship means to express worthiness. So remember when we used to go to sporting events? Remember a long time ago when we would get 100,000 people and cheer for our favorite teams and we would put paint on our faces and we would wear their jerseys? Well, why were we doing that? We were, we were expressing worthiness. We were saying, yes, you are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our time and our money. Remember when you used to go to concerts? We'd pull out our phones. We'd light up the, the stadium or the venue. We would sway. Oh, it's a good one. We, we would sing out. The whole audience would sing out. Why? Because we were expressing our adoration. We were saying, yes, this is worthy. We're going through a presidential election. And some of us have found our candidate who's going to make the world a better place. And so we put signs in our yard, and we put stickers on our car, and we put posts on social media. Why do we do these things? It's because human beings are created to worship. Human beings are created to worship. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, when humanity is created in a perfect relationship with God. We were made in His image. We put on His likeness. We sing songs, Genesis chapter 2, singing songs of adoration and worship. But in Genesis chapter 3, there's a fracture. Our sin enters into the equation and there's a fracture. So from that point on, all of humanity is going throughout life looking for someone or something to worship. So in Exodus 35 to 40, God's word is making it clear that humanity needs someone Worthy of worship. Simply being delivered from slavery in Egypt is not the goal. The goal is worship. And so how does the tabernacle point us to worship? That's our second sub-point. How does the tabernacle point us to worship? Well, in Exodus 35 to 40, we see the God of Scripture instructing Moses on how to put the tabernacle together. And, and like we saw just in the passage that Richard read, which was just one small chunk of it. There's a lot of details. You, you, you probably are, are thinking we could skip over those details, but the details, the details are important. The details are describing this, this context of worship, and it isn't just chairs and some lights and a in a stage, it's a tremendous amount of detail, and it starts from the inside and works out. From the inside and works out. On the inside, in that center position, there's the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was separated by a really thick curtain. A really thick curtain so that the next room was the holy place, and the bread table, 
and the lampstand. And then beyond that room, there's the courtyard. There you see the altar for the burnt offerings. You see the basin for washing. And it's all enclosed by a rectangular tent. Now, I know there's a lot of details, but the details are important. The details of the tabernacle are there for us to see that the presence of God, the holiness of God, is available, but there's barriers. Does that make sense? There's the holy of holies. The presence of God is available, but there's barriers. There's a process in the tabernacle that you had to go through to get into the presence of God. You can't just walk up into the presence of God. Why? Because we're too flawed. We're too broken in our humanity. It's called sin. The holiness of God in our sin is not... You can't just come together, write that in your notes, that the presence of God has been made available, but there's barriers into His presence. And, and you might push back on that a little bit. You might say, ah, Michael, are you sure? Because I, God is very available. He's all around us. He's very, very approachable. But I, I think you know these barriers are there uh, even on an intuitive level. You know that there's barriers into the holiness of God. How many times have you, uh, maybe your eyes have wandered uh, onto things on the internet that are sexually impure, that are sexually inappropriate, and after spending time on those pages, you think to yourself, there's no way I could pray right now. You ever had that moment? There's no way I could open God's word right now. There's no way I could, you know, go to a worship service right now or watch one online after what I've been looking at. You know why you're thinking those things? Because you're, there's barriers. Because you're acknowledging your brokenness, your flaws, and your failures. That You can't just casually walk into the presence of God. Maybe some of us are overcome with some despair right now with COVID-19. As you see, the numbers go up, the numbers go down, the numbers go up, and you look all around. It's like a song. It's like, what's the point? How do I, how do I keep going? Why, why, why? And just despair is overtaken, and you found yourself at times thinking, I can't pray right now. I can't open God's Word right now. You feel numb. Why? Because there's barriers. You know it intuitively. You've gotten in an argument with your spouse. You've, you've shared harsh words and, and maybe on the way to a community group or to a worship service and you turn the car around because you're like, we can't go like that. You know it intuitively what the tabernacle is teaching us. The tabernacle is teaching us that God is holy, that we're flawed. And the essence of the tabernacle is that there's barriers. And the good news is, is that God has established a way back. That's the good news of the tabernacle. There are barriers, but there's a process. We are flawed. He is holy. There's a process. There's a process by which we enter into His presence. Do you, do you feel that compassion of God this Today, do you feel God's love for you in the truth of the tabernacle that he has provided a way for you to come back into his presence? You have it in Genesis 1 and 2. We've rejected it in our sin. And in his love and compassion, he's provided a way back with details like the washing and the cleansing. The sacrifice at the altar. 
our need for light, our need for sustenance. It's the process of the tabernacle. And this process is repeated year over year, generation after generation, over and over until one day Ezekiel, Ezekiel's in the Old Testament and he has a vision. He has a vision whose appearance was like bronze. Huh. And this vision tells Ezekiel, he says, write this down. He says, one day there's a temple that's coming that's larger than any temple we could imagine. There's a temple that's coming that is not just for the high priest to go in. But there's a temple that is coming where all of us can go in. All people, all nations. There's a means by which all might come face to face with the glory of God. Isn't that good news? That's in the tabernacle. That's in Exodus. In the words of Ezekiel, chapter 40, write it in your notes. He's pointing them, he's pointing us to an ultimate temple that is to come. Where the curtains have been opened. The barriers have been removed. So that we can enter into his presence. Let's look at our third subpoint. You know where this is going. You know where this is going. Where is the tabernacle pointing us to worship? Jesus. I didn't surprise you with that, did I? It's pointing us to Jesus. In John 1, John 1, write that in your notes. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, so that we beheld His glory. Think about that. Write those words down in your notes, right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. In the beginning was the Word, the word word is the word logos. It's It's the purpose for life. So he's saying, in the beginning was the purpose of life, and the purpose of life became flesh. That's Jesus, right? In the beginning was the purpose of life, and the purpose of life became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the word dwelt is in the original language? Tabernacle. Come on. <laughs> tabernacle. In the beginning, the purpose of life, the purpose of life became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. The tabernacle is pointing us to Jesus. Are there barriers into the presence of God? Yes. We know there are barriers. We know it biblically from Exodus 35 to 40. Goodness, all those details. But we also know it intuitively. And the good news is that Jesus has come to remove those barriers. It is in Jesus that we see the altar and the basin and the sacrifice all fulfilled. It is in Jesus' death that his blood is shed at the altar. It is in Jesus' resurrection that we are washed, that we are cleansed, that we are forgiven. It is in Jesus that we find sustenance. Sustenance for life, the bread of life, the light of the world. We find clarity in Jesus, and not just for life, but for all of eternity. So that Jesus is not only the glory of God in the flesh, but Jesus is also the tabernacle. Jesus is saying, I'm the means by which you come face to face with his glory. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing? The glory of God isn't behind closed doors that you have to somehow jump through some hoops to get in. 
No, by grace through faith in Jesus, you are ushered into his presence. Today, there's flaws. No doubt you have failures. No doubt those barriers are trying to creep back in. But when you are in Christ, there is no threat of God's presence ever being removed because it's not based on your ability, but on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're ushered into his presence. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. And when the good news of Jesus lands on your soul, whether you're eight years old or whether you're 80 years old, it is an explosion of glory. When you are in Christ, an explosion of glory has happened in your life. You just, you just got ushered into the holy of holies that for generations only the high priest could go into. And yet now in Christ you are there. It's an explosion of glory. It isn't a worship service at 4 o'clock or watching something online or tucking in your shirt or wearing khakis. It's an explosion of glory when you're in Christ. That's what happened in my life. That's what happens today in Christ. I literally went from somebody who was indifferent to God to somebody who was friends with God, face-to-face -face with His glory. And it changed me. It's changing me still. There was peace about me that I'd never encountered, that I couldn't explain. There was a confidence that came over me. There was a confidence that came over me that was not there before. There was a likability upon me. I know, you think I'm pretty likable, but before Christ, I wasn't near this likable. I just had favor. I had no idea people, people would want to be around me, and I was kind of shocked. It wasn't because of me, it's because Christ in me. An explosion of glory. Challenges, they were no longer as scary as they used to be. And every year, those challenges, they just get smaller and smaller. Self was no longer the focus that it used to be. So when it came to studying God's word, like, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, let's do it. When it came to sharing God's word, like, yeah, okay, let's do it. When it came to serving others, when it came to demonstrating acts of mercy and compassion and justice towards others, like, yes, of course, uh, after all that I've been given in Christ, how could I not? It's a, an explosion of God's glory in my life. Listen, you need to know that our, our culture today, our culture today is using words like compassion and mercy and justice. Our culture today is using words of a transformed life in Christ. But you need to know, as long as they are absent of Jesus, the one who's ushered them into his glory, it's always going to be based on works, man-made works. Does that make sense? So you got to be careful when you're watching the news. you got to be careful when you're reading articles. You're going to see biblical words, compassion, mercy, and justice. But as long as it is absent of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it's based on works. You know what I mean by works? Self-made works. Things that we do. So if you talk a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you hang around certain people, you get ushered into this 
almost man-made, holy of holies. And because it's man-made works, and as long as it's man-made works, it's always going to be layered with arrogance and pride and condemnation and judgment and guilt and shame. And it's hollow. And so you got to be alert. Don't just get distracted by the words. Look to the root of who's speaking those words. Because in Christ, the work has been done. Do you exhale when you hear that? The work has been done. The barriers have been removed. The sacrifices have been made. The washing is completed. The longing for justice is fulfilled. And by grace through faith in Jesus, we are ushered into his presence. It is an explosion of glory in our lives. And who can boast? Who of us can boast? No, it's all Christ. Can you imagine what a difference it makes on our church family to, to, to be, be people who are walking in this explosion of God's glory in Christ? I mean, just dream with me for a second. Just imagine with me for a minute what a difference it makes in North Village Church to be a people who are living out every day under an explosion of God's glory. Just imagine what a difference it makes on our marriages, on our parenting, the peace, the confidence, the rest, the boldness, what a difference it makes in our schools, what a difference it makes in our extended family, what a difference it makes in our city. Isn't that exciting to just dream about a little bit? It's it's what we have in Christ. I mean, studies show right now that there's 600 men and women and children in Austin who profess to be followers of Christ. It's a city of 1.5 million and and 600,000 in our city profess to be followers of Christ. Can you just dream a little bit about what a difference it makes for 600,000 men and women and children walking under this explosion of God's glory? It's transformative, right? I mean, we're definitely not just taking pictures of food and going on vacations, right? I mean, that's not the whole of our lives, right? Because there's an explosion going on. I mean, we're definitely not indifferent to injustice. We're definitely not so swept up in our own comforts that injustice is happening around us and we just look the other way. No, but as a people who've been just an overflow of mercy in our lives, we extend that mercy to others. Of course, there's an explosion of God's glory in our life. We wouldn't be overcome with COVID-19. Look, I get it. COVID-19 is confusing. It's frustrating, but we're not overcome by COVID-19. We're afflicted. There's challenges, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, definitely perplexed by COVID-19. 
but we're not in despair. And maybe even a little persecuted. But we're not struck down. We're not destroyed. That is what we have in Christ. An explosion of God's glory. What an opportunity we have today, church family. I know there's a cloud going on with COVID-19, but what an exciting opportunity the church, the Big C Church, North Village Church has in this season of our lives. What an exciting time to follow Christ. What an exciting time to do something special, to see something special when our culture slinging biblical concepts but have no foundation for it. So all they can do is just point the finger and, and divide and speak judgment and guilt and shame. And when all that's taken place, the light of Christ is shining in us as a local church. What an exciting time. Might we be so powerfully overwhelmed by the glory of God that it's palpable among us, that it's transforming how we live, that it, it changes how we parent, it changes how we reconcile, it changes how we talk to our neighbors, it changes how we confess our own sin, our own flaws, and our own failures. That is the glory of God that is available in Jesus Christ. That's in the tabernacle in Exodus. And won't you respond? Will you close your eyes? Will you pray with me? If you're at home, just close your eyes. Just kind of pause for a minute. Let's just pray about these truths that we've been talking about in God's Word. God, I confess first and foremost, like I, I, I am quick to forget about the glory that I've been given in Christ. I'm quick to be influenced by the articles and the, and the headlines and to, and to shrink back. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd forgive me for that. I pray that you'd forgive us for being overtaken by those, those clouds. And not because we're strong and not because we're smart. Not because we, we can persevere through challenge, but because of the, the glory of God that we've been given in Christ. Would you, would you help us to rise through those clouds? Would you help us to pierce through the, the, the weight of COVID-19? That would you give us an unusual optimism? Not naive, but hope. A living hope. What, what Peter calls living hope. Because the tomb is empty. The price has been paid. The cleansing has, has, has come. We are in you, Jesus. Help us to walk in that. Help our acts of service. Help our acts of compassion, our acts of mercy and justice. Would they ring louder? Would they shine brighter than anything our culture can provide? Would you do that in our city? Would you do that in our church? To you be the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.